Hello, internet friends, and welcome to another episode of Runner Time. I'm Richard Lutz, and it is my goal to discuss some of the challenges and decisions that go into some of the biggest movies, TV shows, and commercials in the world. This week, we are talking with Brian Cook about his new book, The Art of Short-Form Content. Brian is the executive content producer at Team One, an advertising agency here in Los Angeles. In this episode, we talk about his books, the motivations that led him to write it, and suggestions and advice that he has for people who want to make a living working in short-form content. I found this to be a fantastic episode because it it really reflects the things that I'm trying to do in my career. It is a great reflection of the sort of work that I want to be producing. When coming to Los Angeles or going to New York, Chicago, wherever these major media hubs that you are trying to get to, you don't have to necessarily work on just features or TV shows. There are other opportunities. and and. For a lot of people, that is short-form content. So it was really refreshing hearing from Brian about hearing his thoughts on making a career working in short-form content. Anyways, I hope you enjoy it, and here's the episode. Why don't you begin by introducing yourself? Uh, a lot of people don't know about Team One or what your role is at Team One. Uh, so why don't you uh, begin by just introducing yourself? Sure. So my name is Brian Cook. I'm the executive content producer and director of multimedia at Team One Advertising in LA. Uh, Team One is the luxury division of Saatchi and Saatchi. So we focus on premium brands, um, Lexus and Ritz-Carlton being our two big ones. Um, and yeah, it's a large ad, large ad agency, about 500 people, and our main headquarters is here down here in LA. So uh, yeah, so this is and this is. Yeah, go ahead. That, that's, I guess, the big part. Nice. And how long have you been at Team One, and how did you get into commercial production? Because a lot of people just want to focus on, like, features or television. Commercial's yeah. kind of the uh, ugly stepchild of the business in many ways. But and I, I've found in m- freelancing in Seattle and working at pl- the mill and just around town, it's commercials and short-form content. It's hard, but it's it can be really creative and engaging. Yeah. So, I mean, I started, so I started about 15 years ago working in post-production while I was getting my MFA in New York. And I started in long form in television shows. And then I moved into doing promos. And then I moved in after that to basically doing commercials. And I actually much prefer short form. It, it fits me um, a lot better because at the end of the day, I'm most interested when it comes to short form, and I'm a post guy primarily. I'm an editor, post producer by trade. Um, it, I really like structure, and I really like design, and I really like sound design. And the things that I really like are things that are extremely important in short form. And the things that I don't didn't particularly like. I mean, to be quite candid, you know, going through a hundred hours of footage for a for a television show just eventually got kind of boring. And I much prefer the sort of brevity of short form. So um, I kind of naturally made my way into doing commercials and I really like it. I also really like that it, um, I mean, commercials, all short form is basically a commercial of one sort or another. Uh, You know, a trailer advertises a film, a promo advertises a show and a commercial advertises a product and so on and so forth. And I, um, I really like advertising as well. I find advertising interesting. I find, the fact that with advertising you have to, I mean, 
you have to attract a ton of attention because you're trying to stand out in this really cluttered marketplace. You have to motivate consumers to do something. I mean, I find those challenges really fascinating. Um, and to be honest, it's really, really hard. I mean, it's uh, most 90% of commercials are garbage and it's really, really hard to make a good one. And I find that challenge interesting. Absolutely. And I'm familiar with this as well because I, I started, uh, by, I started on the creative side of the business and it's so funny because it's like people don't understand the amount of blood, sweat and tears that, that art directors and writers and even strategists are putting into these things before you're even bidding a job to say hungry man or smuggler. It's, it's insane about the, the amount of time just trying to convince the client that this is a worthy cause that's going to elevate their brand. And it's, it's, it's in, a lot of people don't understand the amount of hard work and sacrifice that creatives are putting in before the, before you even load your first red mag. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Oh, no, definitely true. I mean, it's the, you know, to get, you're talking about a national commercial, let's say like a big, a big brand national spot. I mean, from when it's sort of briefed to when it actually ends up on your television, you know, you're usually talking, four, five, six, seven months of work, um, mm -hmm. which I agree, people outside of the industry don't understand how sort of laborious that can be. But I mean, it is, there's a ton of people involved. There's a, I mean, it, it's a pretty massive um, industry when you get down to it. Mm -hmm. uh, because again, the challenges are really, really difficult. Like, you know, getting, moving the needle is, is not an easy thing. So, but it's really satisfying when you do it, when you do it, it's a very satisfying feeling, which I like. It's it's interesting that you you talk about those time frames because when I was running at the mill, um, we the the mill as you know really stresses client services and Rainy Melendez, who's their managing director, um, spoke to us for a few minutes. He spoke to all the runners and he basically said, "Our job it doesn't matter if you're a runner or if you're a VFX lead, it's client services and and taking the pressure off of the." the clients who are in the building because in many cases they've spent six months to a year um, mm -hmm. working on a campaign. I remember when I was at Fallon, it took them six months to get the 2014 campaign for H&R Block um, off the ground. And it's it's really we're working on the post side of the business. It doesn't matter if you're sound, VFX, or edit, or even color. If you're going to a shop like Company 3, you're you, – it really needs to be a business of client services and helping the client get there because they've, they're almost there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. And it all comes down to, um, you know, at the end of the day with, with short form, so much of the story is told in the post process. Um, I mean, you, you, it, it's, with long form, you can't really afford, I mean, everything's blocked out in terms of the overall structure and story in advance because it has to be because you have to make so much stuff and you have to shoot so much stuff. But with short form, everything to a certain extent is getting decided in post in terms of how the story is told. And plus you have that incredible restriction of having a, a very small amount of time. Um, and that's what's also fun about being in post um, in the short form world is that there's so much responsibility on people in that space. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And I remember uh... – like in the first chapter of your book, you you go into these uh, 
different strategies of editorial and cutting and I'm trying to find the page right now. I, I remember it being in the first, well, you you definitely mentioned it with like the, the Louis C.K. Um, promo about how he, Louis could have spent the time and just really ramping up this build, but with a 30-second spot for HBO, that's 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 impossible. Yeah, it is. Uh, and it, that, that time constraint, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, it's the thing that, you know, is the most frustrating at times is that we have such a limited amount of time, but it's also the reason that, I mean, in terms of innovative filmic techniques, short form in a lot of ways has led the way, um, you know, you take something as simple as the interplay of motion design and shot footage, short form has definitely pioneered how that works. And I think there's a reason for that, which is just that we have to tell an incredible amount of story in a very limited amount of time. So you have to get very creative in terms of trying to truncate and, and sort of compact a story like that, which is great. I mean, that's why I think short form has been so innovative in a lot of ways. Absolutely. It's because of that challenge, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Absolutely. And I think, uh, I think, uh, I mean, we've seen a lot of shops, uh, really push the needle, whether it's the mill or, say, um, spot welders or even radical media. They're, these guys are constantly trying to push the envelope because many of these guys are feature film directors who are doing commercials to be innovative and try new things for their next feature project. So it's really refreshing to see them really charge at these things. But um, I, I'm curious about the book because I, I saw it when I was working at the mill and I, I've... I've read some of it, and I, I found it really refreshing to, as a guy who wants to make his career in commercial production, spe specifically in post-production, um, what ultimately motivated you to write the book? I think I had a couple of motivations. I mean, I think it, it kind of started from the simple position of, you know, I went back after I'd been in the industry for about 10 years, working mostly in short form by then. Um, and I went back and read a bunch of my old film school books, and I was definitely struck by the fact that, you know, obviously a lot of the things that they were saying are relevant for short form, right? I mean, a lot uh, there's, the, there's a lot of commonalities between long form and short form, but I was also struck by the fact that a lot of the things they were they were saying weren't relevant, right? So it was sort of like um, take editing for example. You know, you read a book on editing. More often than not, it's coming at it from the long form perspective of sort of the Hollywood style and like you have long dialogue sequences and this is how you cut them together and this is how you hide cuts. And then you sort of realize when, you, when you're in short form that a lot of those techniques aren't really relevant because the, there's such different ways of telling stories. So I think part of it was trying to fill that gap that I thought was there. And I think another part of it was, you know, when I got into this business, I didn't really understand what short form was or that I could make a living doing it. And to be honest, I don't know if I'd still be in this industry if it was just long form because things about it I didn't love. I, I found in short form a place that I could really engage with things that I like. So part of it was also, you know, saying to students, hey, look, there's this a giant industry out there that your professors might not necessarily be talking about that you can make a really good living and make really beautiful things. So I think it was twofold, right? So one, trying to get a little bit, talk about just the sort of, aesthetics of short form and how it works as an art form and the other being just trying to you know help kids see like hey you know if you're really into motion design 
and you're a filmmaker, short form might be the place for you. If you're really into sound design and you're a filmmaker, short form might be the place for you. So it was partially getting people to see that. Um, and then I guess the third thing would be also just acknowledging, I think as a medium uh, or, or sort of as a form, short form is a little bit ignored, but there's people like the people that I talk about in my book, like Neil Gust, who I think is like kind of a genius and kind of an amazingly gifted artist. And no one knows who he is because he only works as Neil puts it. I don't ever want to make anything longer than two minutes, but, but I mean, he's totally doing things that are extremely innovative, that are influencing the language of film and no one knows who this guy is. So I think part of it was also just letting people hopefully outside of the short form industry, see how talented some of these people really are. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, that's a, that's some of the things I realized when I was working at the mill is it is a lot of these people, um, like I'm trying to think of, a like Paul Mitchell, he's Paul's a gr- great example. I'm sure you know him. Mm-hmm. I mean, Paul's one of those guys that's one of the most influential motion directors in the world. Mm-hmm. And, but at the end of the day, he, he gets to go home and have a normal life yet have a a incredible amount of um, say of what is um, popular in the business. And I mean, a lot of people want to, they move down to LA or they go to New York or Chicago, London. I mean, those are the major media hubs that I know of. In many ways, that's where all the mill shops are. But anyways, I digress. Many people go to these places to um, work in media and a lot of people want to get famous, but for there's a good majority of people that just want to make good work and yep. and get it out there to middle America. And I think that is there is a pathway to do those things and live a normal lifestyle to a certain degree. Yeah, I agree. And you could put, I mean, there's, I, I think at the end of the day, too, there's, there's, because there isn't the sort of level of fame that there is in long form, there's also not as much ego um and i mean look i mean there's so many gifted people who work in long form who i love to death but there's obviously because of the the exposure that comes with it there is a little bit more ego at times whereas short form it's it's kind of funny like everyone's just sort of craftsmen working towards the common goal and that's also kind of awesome um yeah because i'm with you you totally can make i mean i've been doing it for 15, 16 years and been able to pay my rent the whole time. So that's a good thing. <laughs> it's funny because like right before the time I left the mill, I ran into uh, Elliot Rausch. Mm-hmm. Elliot is incredible. I mean, I saw his work um, a couple years ago when I was going to Brand Center and um, even before that. And I was blown away by his storytelling and his uh, just his just his films I was finding on Vimeo. They were stunning. But when I met him at the mill, I, I introduced myself and I said, Elliot, I'm a huge fan of your work. Like, I've been following you for years. You have truly been an inspiration for me. And he was super gracious a- about it. Um, I mean, same goes for Ring and Ludwig. I mean, I I knew his work from what I saw at Brand Center. And I was, once again, I was stunned by it. And I said, Ring and I'm a huge fan. And both these guys were super receptive of me being a fan of their work. And I don't know, I don't know if you'd necessarily find that as much in long form from a guy like Spielberg or JJ Abrams. No, there's more. And there's, you know, I mean, to put it to, to give an example as well is when I wrote my book, I had a, a bunch of people that I really wanted to interview 
And not one, every person I called was incredibly gracious. Every person agreed to take half an hour out of their day. Everyone was just like, I'm so flattered you even know of my work. Like, I mean, it really was no ego at all. And to your point, yeah, if I called up Spielberg, if I cold called Spielberg instead of writing a book, I'm sure he'd be like, um, okay. <laughs> not, I mean, I'm sure Steven Spielberg is a lovely person, but yeah, he's a, you know, he's a famous guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree. And it's a great, I think because of that, it's also a great for kids who are coming in to film. I think it's a very open space for them. And it's a lot easier in my experience to get your hands on the gear and really work on stuff. Um, I, I think it's just, it's just a little bit more open. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you come into it and you want to be an editor and you say, I want to do commercials, I mean, yeah, obviously you got to pay your dues, but it, I think people in that in this side of the industry will be a little bit more receptive to show you things and get you started perhaps just mm-hmm. like, it's also because there's more opportunity at the end of the day, if you want to cut feature films, you want to cut Hollywood feature films. There's obviously not that many of them made. Right. So that's part one of that equation. Whereas in commercials, there's hundreds of thousands of them made. So there's part of it's just that. Um, but yeah, so it's a good business for sure. Oh, absolutely. I love it. And, I mean, I know that it's going to get crazy in the next month with Super Bowl um, right around the corner. I mean, I know every edit and VFX and sound shop in town are just going to be like, we can't talk now, we're we're, we're sold (laughs) which I I totally get where they're coming from, and it's like, by all means. So what were the biggest things you kind of took away from writing this book and just um, connecting with people? Like, what what are the things in your mind that that really stood out in terms of just – the conversations that you had and just the overall writing process. I would say for me, it was sort of formalizing what my approach was and what the approach was that was common amongst spots and work, uh, short form work that I really liked. And then talking to everybody, you know, cause it's weird. You don't, when you do a sort of craft for a living, you don't, always reflect on it that much you sort of do it and you obviously are are actively engaged with it to a really high level but you don't often step back and think about it in the sense of okay what am I doing from a huge global perspective so kind of taking that step back and looking at it and then finding that you know the the things that I found all good short form to do were also shared sentiments among everyone I talked to I think that was probably the biggest thing that I took from it. Um, and I think the other thing I probably took from it was that every step of the process, you know, you look at, in the book I broke, every chapter out is, is broken out by basically the, the discipline that I'm talking about. So it might be editorial or sound design or color or music, whatever. How every one of those things, every one of the practitioners in those spaces is kind of trying to do the same thing, right? They're kind of trying to attract attention. They're trying to evoke an emotion. They're trying to motivate people to do certain things and realizing how we're all sort of doing the same thing just with our own part of the craft. Um, so that was probably the biggest thing. And the second thing was how long it takes to write a book. <laughs> I've heard um, about that. Yeah, you know, it, it was funny. It's It, it, it takes a while. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, that, those are probably the big things. How do you think? Uh, 
how do you think it's going to shape how you and your team at Team One approaches the production phase, especially from your position of leading projects um, for brands like Lexus, Haagen-Dazs, and Ritz-Carlton? Well, I think it always, I mean, it's funny when I, so about, probably about 10 years ago, I moved into a position of sort of overseeing people. And I, I guess with, particularly with, with younger people, I'd always sort of stressed that, you know, that short form was supposed to do certain things. It wasn't just sort of randomly throwing things around. There was a system to all of this because I think there's a logic to everything, right? And there's a, there's a, a storytelling. It's not like a, a system in a rigid sense, but it, there is a, a a way to approach any sort of concept in order to best express it filmically in mm-hmm. a short form space. And so I was always sort of doing that. Um, I, I think it just sort of codified it and sort of it made it even more apparent. Like it was funny when I was writing the book, I sort of was like, I'm going to look through the, you know, the hundred pieces that I just that I love and that I've watched over and over again and sort of look at them and break them apart and see how similar they were. And they really are. I mean, it's again, it's not to say that it's just like a formula you can apply, but there is a right way I think to do it. Right. And if you don't, if you don't structure your acts in a certain way, and if you don't think about color in a certain way, you don't use sound design as effectively as it can be, you're going to end up with a worse product. So, um, I, I think it was just sort of allowing me to really break it down to its components. But again, it's always been, you know, I, I guess I'm a somewhat analytic, analytical person. So I've always sort of approached it from that way, but seeing how clear it really was, um, was, was nice to see and, and informative for how I work with the younger people that I work with. Absolutely. And I know that Team One uh, just put together this fantastic uh, ad for Lexus uh, featuring Sriracha, which was very funny. Um, I know Mike Mattoon was a strategist on it. And he was actually my roommate um, in, in uh, grad school. Um, were there certain applications or things or examples that you can point to that reference the book? Um, in terms of how you approach production? Uh, things that I've made or things that other people have no, made? No, 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 no. With, with that Alexis ad, like what... With that Sriracha ad? Yeah, I'm, I'm just using the Sriracha ad Sriracha. as a as yeah, a catalyst to that you might be able to um, point to examples. Yeah, I mean, so, so with the Sriracha one, um, that's kind of an interesting one. So that piece was designed obviously to go in the social space. I mean, it's not a, a paid piece of content. In other words, it's not going on television or anything like that. And, you know, that one definitely has all of the things that you sort of want. It was effective. I mean, it got a ton of views and people really, really liked it. And I think it's because it does do all of those things, right? So it, it attracts your attention because it's a, um, a strange idea and it it sort of immediately presents itself as such it evokes the emotion in the sense that it's funny um and then it it sort of motivates you to think about the brand a little bit differently and to i mean at the end of the day the is as a car is a car that's about um it's our sort of one of our it's our entry-level performance car basically it's a hot car to to put in sort of those terms and 
uh, Sriracha is as well, and also to have a little bit of fun. I mean, Lexus, I think, has a reputation as being, oh, like all luxury brands, you know, a lot of them, you, you sort of, you get serious because they're they're serious products that are seriously engineered and, and co- have a, you know, cost associated, but you can have fun with it, too. Um, so, for example, like with that one, um, you know, some of the fun stuff was also just the color process with that job was fun because we had to make the car look the shade of red of Sriracha, which is a fairly distinct red. Um, but all those little choices are what makes it kind of work. Like if the red of the car was slightly off, I think subconsciously you just wouldn't buy it as much. But, you know, so we spent a lot of time in color looking at here's the real red of Sriracha and here's the red of the car and we're going to tweak the color in post to get it there. And all those little choices are what kind of make it work uh, and make you sort of accept the absurdity of it, which is that we made a car out of Sriracha. So um, I think that that piece does have all of those elements. Um, And yeah, and it was, I think that one's a little longer. That's probably about two minutes and change. So that one we actually had some space. It's funny, like two minutes and change for me is like epically long. Um, so that one seemed really long to me. But um, yeah, so that, that that's probably what I would say about that one. Yeah, and I, uh, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic because I don't know how many Mercedes ads that I've seen in the last three years where it's always the same voiceover, same color grade and, it, there's nothing interesting really happening there and it was it was really refreshing to see a brand like Lexus who they are a very serious automaker and they take themselves incredibly serious but at the same time it's also nice to see them have a different side to their personality because so often with advertising across all channels we're so used to seeing the same voice and tone we're not seeing them be more humanistic in terms of how they see the world and have fun with their product yeah because you can have i mean i think at the end of the day you can have i mean just like a human being you can have all different facets of your of your personality and i think one of the great things is about the social space is that it does allow you i mean i look i get it if you're talking about like a big a big media buy you know everyone's gonna it, it that sort of strangles it sometimes because you have this big media buy behind it. But with the social space, you can be free to have a little bit of fun. Um, obviously, you don't want to threaten the brand or, or or put it you know put it in a bad light, but you can have fun with it. And one of the more gratifying things about the social space is is seeing the conversation that starts around things and seeing how people. You know, it's weird. You make a spot that goes on TV and it goes up and you spend a ton of time, to your earlier point, like perfectly crafting everything and the VFX are done perfectly. The car is cleaned up to like the nth degree. The color has been done by the best guys in the business, et cetera, et cetera. But you don't ever really, you know what I mean? Like it's out in the world and you don't really get a a, a sort of... uh, verbal response from people, which was social is great because it goes out there and people talk about it and they fight about it and they argue about it. And that's kind of enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And I remember just seeing that spot just <clears throat> all over the blogosphere. And I mean, I know it, the car was going to be featured at the Eliato show and it, it's just really exciting to see a brand um, do those sort of things. But it's all, I, th- I find it more exciting as a production guy and especially a post-production guy seeing how 
the post-production can really craft um, that response in many ways. Yeah, no, I agree. It was, um, it, it, Again, it's one of those things that that was another one that is very much made in post. Like we knew what we were shooting, obviously, and the creatives had a really good idea what they wanted to do. But it was a story that in terms of finding the genre and finding the tone and finding where we sort of wanted it to sit emotionally, um, post was kind of where that all happened. And everybody knew that going in. I mean, you know, it is in, in short form. It is you take that little bit of a leap sometimes where you get on set, you film a bunch of stuff and you, you know where you're going, but you're not a hundred percent sure how you're going to get there. Um, and that was a good example of that because it's also comedy is always tricky with a luxury product. It's never, it's not, you can't be super broad. You know what I mean? Um, like really, really slapsticky broad stuff for a premium brand is not necessarily where you want to go. So it's trying to find that tone. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you liked it. And yeah, I was, the blogs did, I mean, and you know, to be honest, when they first came to me with the with the idea and said we're going to make a sriracha car, I had to. I was like, well, "What do you mean?" <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it was really cool. And all of a sudden, done, I was like, "Yeah, that's amazing." So <laughs> no, I I enjoyed it, and I loved I loved the writing of like the there was a moment in the ad that was really funny, like the christening where you just cut the music for a second and you were able to yeah. play with music and hold shots that really changed the feel of it and really like. Yeah. It changed a moment in it, but then you went right back into the spot. It's it's just little editorial things like that that I find really exciting and interesting. Now, um, what was your post process like on on this? I mean, did you cut it on Avid? Was it Premiere? And did you guys do it in house? Yeah, so uh, we cut it in house. The editor was a guy named uh, Fred Foucault, who's amazing. Um, he goes by Fredder. He's great. He does a ton of stuff and. We did it here in house. We did the color in house. We did the yeah. We did everything in house. Um, we cut it in Premiere. Uh, did the color and resolve. Did the cleanup in After Effects. There wasn't very much cleanup on it. Um, and it was probably I would say a three week post process. You know, not a huge. I mean, the budget wasn't big, so it was the post process was couldn't really drag on. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, everything was done here. Uh, the music was fairly cheap stock music, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, and the, the head guy, I mean, the, the moment you're talking about where the music cuts out, that was also, there was such a great chemistry between the head Lexus marketer, Brian Smith, and the guy whose name I'm not going to remember from David Sarai. Tran. David Tran. <laughs> like, they're just, actually, the all of the footage of them is pretty remarkably awesome. Like, they have an amazing chemistry in a very strange way. Um, but so that was, um, but yeah, to your point, it's finding those beats and, uh, and finding those moments that can really make the, the humor come through. And, uh, that was a good example of that. I would agree. <clears throat> I'm, I'm always impressed by team one's capabilities because, uh, I mean, working in the business, working at the mill, um, I saw things take forever. Um, mm -hmm. Nike mindset when they were working on that took them six months. Yeah, it, it was a beast, but it was a it was a six minute commercial with a ton of VFX that had to look seamless, and it, they had to put them in uh, Wembley Stadium, which is not an easy feat. I mean, the no. the CG dudes basically spent two or yeah two months building Wembley Stadium out perfectly, and I mean it was it was a monster of a process. So it's it's always really exciting for me to talk with post professionals who are like, Oh yeah, we did this in house because 
it's it's really interesting right now in post production because we're seeing and production in general because it's never been so easy to pick up a camera and make something simple. I'm not trying to say that we should be doing that all the time, but there's a time, mm-hmm. I, as Jeff Kling put it, uh, there's a time for punk rock and there's a time for a three piece suit. Yeah, no, I would. That's a great. That's a great uh, uh, metaphor, by the way. Um, yeah, no, I would agree. It's it's also we have to make so much stuff. Like when when I first started in this, you'd make a thirty second spot for a campaign, and that that was it. And now, like any normal campaign that we're doing, we have our thirty second spot. Then we've got our in cinema buy. We've got our out of home. We've got the social videos that go with it. We got the Snapchats. We got the Instagrams. Like we now have to make, which is, I mean, one of the reasons it's a really awesome time to be in a filmmaker in short form is that we now have to make this massive amount of stuff. So the in-house model, um, you know, it has it's it has really good benefits, especially in that context. I mean, I like yeah. I mean, obviously, there's going to be I you'll never I don't think you're ever going to see an agency, you know, be, build something like the mill, right? And you're never going to probably see an agency bring in really big name directors like an anonymous content would but when you're talking about all the stuff we have to make and the fact that budgets it's not like they've like skyrocketed to meet those needs um you kind of have to be able to do both and team one has definitely been i think really good in my and i come from the vendor world so i'm like for me it's i love that world and it's i love both worlds and i think team one's been really good about building up the internal department, but also still keeping those external relationships really important and finding the great balance between them. Because at the end of the day, everybody's just also trying to get everything done. Like, like we're all just, at the end of the day, we're all just trying to get this massive amount of work accomplished. Um, and I, you kind of need to have various ways to do it. Absolutely. And it's interesting that you bring up all those channels because um, it's been interesting because before I made the leap to Los Angeles, I was uh, I was reading, uh, it was either Ad Age or Ad Week, and it was talking about the growth of production capabilities internally, and mm-hmm. it referenced um, shops like Deutsch, 72 and Sunny, um, and Crispin, and how they're all trying to increase their production capabilities. And this was something that I saw when I was working at Fallon. Um, we, we were very early on... Uh, trying to create content for Instagram at the time it was still 15 seconds now it's up to 60 as you know and there's a lot more leverage within the platform in terms of uploading stuff that you create in Premiere or After Effects and just kicking sure. it out to the world through those methods it's a lot easier than it used to be but it's it's interesting to hear about the changes of production and how it's not always a um going to a anonymous content or the mill or um, even spot welders. Yeah. And I mean, those places, it's funny that they're always gonna, those high end places that can do that level of work are always going to be there and they're always going to be necessary. I mean, there's just no way again, the mill, you look at something like the mill and the infrastructure that they've built and the team that they've assembled I mean, that's a unique thing, right? So, uh, but yeah, there just is so much, we just have to make so much stuff because consumers are, are everywhere and they're, 
viewing things like we're now making ad campaigns specifically for you know portrait mode in mobile like it the the the, the executions are getting so um directed towards particular media spaces and again it's not like the budgets have quadrupled to meet that need like clients now are sort of the same amount of budget we had five six seven years ago to make one 30 second spot that's still the same amount of money or less, and you're now being asked to do that on top of everything else. So, I mean, you just have to kind of get nimble with it, and 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 to be honest, not all content has to be, um, you know, a, a national Nike spot. Like sometimes you're just making something for Snapchat to talk to fifty thousand people, and that's its own thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's okay. It's okay to make stuff for those spaces. Um, but yeah, and it's it, you're right though that all the agencies, all the big places are definitely doing it, um, and and some places are doing it. I mean, I mean, you know, Joint up in at Wyden and Kennedy, they've been doing great stuff for ten years. Like it's and to your point, Fallon, I think honestly a lot of the places that aren't a lot of the really great agencies that aren't in huge markets started this process probably a little bit earlier because they kind of had to. Yeah. Right. I think a shop that really caught my attention early on, and this was probably 2010, was mm-hmm. Digital Kitchen. I mean, yeah. Digital yeah. Kitchen kind of, I, I love their work, but I don't think they knew exactly what they were. They weren't sure if they were an agency or a production company. But I've, while going to school and watching their work, they had this mantra of think and make. And that's something that I think is creative these days. It doesn't matter if you're an art director or a writer or an editor or a photographer slash cinematographer. We have to think up great ideas and find ways to make them across all channels, including the ones that haven't been invented yet. And it's, it's, it's a huge challenge. It's really hard. Yeah. It, 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 to your point. Yeah. It's like, now with VR coming and really becoming a thing, and and now with, um, with with mobile being what mobile is, and how you have to sort of tell stories in that space. I mean, it 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 really is quite challenging to stay on top of all the different ways that consumers are, um, sort of ingesting content because it's you know it's a sort of like you take something like VR, which is obviously a very hot topic. Um, you know, VR is fascinating from a production perspective, and VR is also really, really fascinating from a storytelling perspective and from a branding perspective. Nobody really knows, like, how do we advertise in VR? We're kind of figuring that out as an industry. How do we tell stories in VR? We're kind of figuring that out as an industry. So it's sort of like all of these things are happening very, very quickly, which is really exciting for production people. Like, we get to make... I have a, you know, I'll have briefs come across my desk once a month that I'm like, I've never seen that before. You know what I mean? Like you have these great moments where as production people, I mean, making national television commercials is fun and and you get to get, you know, you have the budgets to work with really amazing people, but we all know what those are. Like that pipeline and that process of making a national commercial is completely set and it's, it's, it's thing. But we have these all these new things. You know, I'll be regularly asked, you know, how would we do this? And I'm like, I don't know. We'll have to figure it out. I've never, I've never done. I don't know anyone who's ever done what you're asking me to do. So that's really cool. Like we just did a piece with a car, the lit car, where we wrapped the whole car in forty-two thousand LEDs. Oh, wow. 
and then did this whole piece on it. And it was like, and it was in a music video. We did this, all this content. So not only do we have to figure out how to put 42,000 LEDs on a car, which we did, we partnered with tool and a couple other places to do it. But how do you shoot that? Like it, that's not any, that's not a typical thing to shoot something that's illuminated by 42,000 LEDs. So all those things are different. It's it's funny because it's like you say 42,000 LEDs. I'm like, well, there goes the – you're not going to need grip or electric on this one. Yeah. No, it did have that benefit. Um, And AI. Like we just did a piece, an AI piece where, you know, AI basically directed it. And that was sort of fascinating to try and deal with too. So all these things are – We have this incredible challenge as short-form content creators right now, which is the audience is totally fragmented. They're all over the place. They're not consuming media in the way they used to consume it. So how do we talk to them? And how do we how do we evoke an emotion in all these weird places? And that's an awesome challenge to have, right? Oh, absolutely. I uh, One of the people I've really been paying attention to, and I'm sure you know his name, is uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. Oh yeah, sure. And he's uh, it's it's crazy. He he has a social or one of his agencies, his Los Angeles one, is not out by uh, you guys in uh, Playa Vista. It's uh, it's in Sherman Oaks, strangely mm-hmm. enough. But something that he's constantly been talking about has been the our phones are the new our phones are the TVs in the fifties to what the and then our televisions now are like the radio. It is a completely different mind frame of just like how we go about solving these problems because it, it 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 really isn't easy because to your point people are very very fragmented and it's really hard to get that that audience that's why the super bowl is still the best ad buy in the world yeah no it, it's true and it's and phones i mean it's it's funny because it's like first off you've got the phone and it's kind of small and it's always there so the screen size is kind of small the audio quality is what it is but then you start getting into the specifics of the different apps in that phone, and then you're talking about, okay, I've got a Facebook timeline, and how do people interact with a Facebook timeline in mobile, and how can I get their attention on a Facebook t- timeline in mobile so they don't just you know scroll right by me, and then how do I, what do I do once I have their attention on the Facebook timeline? So it, it, it becomes this very, not just like sort of like device-specific challenge, it's like a... a uh, channel specific challenge within the device, which is a whole a whole thing onto itself. Like there's a reason why you know Facebook has been hiring creatives from all over the place to come work for them, which is that at the end of the day, you know the best way I've heard it put was something like Facebook is it's sort of like you have all these sort of free devices where the the product at the end of the day is the consumer, and they've got all this amazing data on their consumers. But how do you reach them with that data? So like we did this project NX 1000 ads about a year and a half ago where we had to make a thousand custom spots just for um, Facebook. And it had ended up being really, really successful. But the basic challenge we started from was, well, there was the production challenge of how do you make over a thousand ads in, in four weeks. But there was the, the, the tactical challenge of, you know, how do we get people's attention on the Facebook timeline? So it was trying to make a thousand custom ads that would appeal to people based on all this different data that we could collect from Facebook, which is, 
you know, again, it's great. We have all this data, but okay, then what do we do with it? Um, and how do we make stuff off of it? So that's really fascinating too, the way that data informs what we do as filmmakers um, is kind of a, a fascinating thing as well. Absolutely. And with those changes among social channels and just places that we can be putting media in these days, is that more of, so, I mean, is that something that the creatives are dealing with more than somebody like you? Or do you think it's the responsibility of people like us to know these things just as well as the creatives? I think it's the responsibility of people like us just as well as the creatives, because at the end of the day, the, the crafts that we pursue are really, really affected by those things, right? So, like, if you're a sound designer and you are tasked with, I need you to make something that's primarily in the mobile space, you have to be aware of how people interact with that device. You have to be, besides the technical things that go into the speaker being so small and not being able to play you know, frequencies of a certain level, you, you also have to be aware of how people are sort of interacting with the device just in a human way. Um, so I think it is the people that are doing, the people that will really thrive, the filmmakers who work in short form that'll really, really thrive are ones who, who can think like that because you have to, right? Um, and I think that, that really good people really talented people are doing that. Like if you're a colorist and you're, you're tasked with making something that's going to succeed in these various spaces, you're going to approach color potentially slightly differently than you would for a television spot or a cinema buy. You might, you might have to, I mean, it might have to be, you know, uh, more vibrant colors. Like the production design has to take that into account. So yeah, I would, I think that it's on us just as much as it's on the creative to try and figure it out. Absolutely. I have a buddy of mine who recently moved down to, from Seattle, and he says whenever he grades something, he looks at it on every screen he can find. He'll watch it on his TV. He'll watch it on his iPad, his phone, his computer, just to get an idea of what the color space looks like. And I think it's really – I think color right now is really interesting with ACES and REC 2020 and 709 P3 um, displays. I think, I think it's a great example of – what's happening throughout the business. And I'm just using color as an example. I know sound has its own issues and so does editorial and VFX. It's, it is, it really does feel like with the wild, wild west right now. And I know VR is just going to change that even more. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see where VR goes. I mean, I keep, uh, again, I don't think anyone quite knows what the hell's going on with VR. I mean, we all, you look at that technology and when it's done right, you say, oh man, this is, this this could be where we're all going. But it's funny, I was talking, you know, it's sort of like the old cliche is you follow, like if you want to look at technological developments in terms of how people consume media, you look to pornography. Um, you know, they were the ones who basically decided VHS or, or beta. I mean, they're they're sort of the leader of, of how people are consuming media. And so I was talking to a buddy who, who like follows that industry and I was like, well, you know, what's pornography doing with VR? And he's like, they're really excited about it, but they don't really know what to do with it either. And you're kind of like, well, <laughs> if any industry makes sense for VR, it's probably that one. And they're not even really sure what to do with it. So it's this crazy technology where the technology itself is beyond what we know what to do with it aesthetically and in terms of story, because it's really hard, man. When you, when you get away from the model 
when you get away from being able to direct people's attention in a story based on editing and you now have people able to do whatever they want, it's a different thing, right? Now you're in video game land where it's like a totally different way of telling a story. Um, so we'll see. And gaming, obviously, the other place that VR makes a hell of a lot of sense is gaming. Um, but I don't know. I know the other, then the last part of that would be, is my mother ever going to put a headset on? <laughs> I don't know. Probably not, to be honest with you. Like, it's funny. You talk about the, the you know, uh, I guess we'll be there one day, too. But, you know, it's like my father-in-law has this big, fancy HDTV, and he plays SD channels on it. So is he ever going to put a helmet on? I don't think so. <laughs> But it it's interesting seeing where it's all headed. I mean, I saw some work by uh, 180LA, some work they did for Expedia, and they they had a drone flying around uh, Australia, I want to say, and it was just it was really cool because I think uh, I think with a lot of these things, people uh, people have seen things so many times. They've seen cars going around corners with leaves. Sure thousands of times and it's I think, sure. I think there's a huge opportunity to present something that they know from an unexpected place and i'm i'm excited about it yeah me too because it and i agree with you i mean there's there's only so many ways you know like how many times can you show a car going through the salt flats i mean it's like you know it's been done um but the, you know the funny thing is too is there's still always one of the best parts about product like film film as a medium is it's so complicated that we and we take it sort of for granted but like for example look at something like sound design and where that's come in 15 years like look at a trailer from 15 years ago and compare it to a trailer from today in terms of its sound design and it's like a, it's another day. dimension it's night and day like we've taken so the sound design community and we as filmmakers have taken that small, not small, but that part of the industry and just perfectly exploited all of its capabilities. And it just keeps going. Like, it, it, it doesn't stop. So I think that's what's so cool about film is it, it's so compl complex as a medium that it feels like there never will be an end to it in some ways. Absolutely. And, which is awesome, which is really great. Yeah, I mean, I think I watched, uh, I think a perfect example right now would be the new uh, Blade Runner um, yeah. trailers. Yeah. I mean, I guarantee, I mean, go back and watch the old one, and it's going to feel very, very dated compared oh, to the one that was recently put out by, I want, I want to, I don't know if, it, I want to say it was Warner's, but that doesn't sound right. Well, think about also the, just the, I mean, if you watch the old one and compare it to the new one, you're going to see uh, the elevation in the various parts of the craft, like the elevation and just take editorial for trailers. Like they've gotten so aggressive about pushing structure and pushing storytelling. You go back and watch an old trailer and they seem so slow and they seem so like rudimentary in the way that they're telling stories. Mm -hmm. And a, part of that's obviously also the technology. Like we can now you know, with four keystrokes, we can radically reshuffle a cut, which obviously 30 years ago would have been two or three hours with the steam back. So that part makes it a lot easier to do, but it's also people just being more aggressive and, and how can we push, how much story can we fit into two minutes? Mm -hmm. um, 
and it's <clears throat> it's really cool to watch that all play out and uh, colors the same way. And we have, the technology is also just so amazing. Like when I started 15 years ago, Avid was the only game in town, and I still love Avid. But like you know, now I got into Premiere two years ago. <clears throat> And it's just like, I mean, all these software suites, like somebody asked me the other day, like, what, you know, Final Cut versus Premiere versus Avid, and I'm like, they're all awesome. Like, I mean, like Final Cut X, I've got my issues with, but they're all amazing. I mean, they're all like, they're incredible tools. And when I think back on the way we used to have to work, like, I can now fire up Premiere and, like, bring Raw Red into it and start cutting with 4K files. Like, that's insane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... And not only that, it, I mean, you touched on color a second ago. The built like I, I'm running DaVinci Resolve, the free version of DaVinci Resolve. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Four years ago, if you told me that I could be running one of the top oh, end, um, oh, yeah. um, color, um, packages, I would have been like, okay, like do it I would, on your laptop. No, you know what I, I mean, I do it it's on my crazy. laptop. <laughs> I was flying to Seattle for Thanksgiving. And the Amoeba piece I showed you, I was trying to do the color grade with my trackpad. I didn't have wheels. I didn't have like yeah. a little Da Vinci Ripple that's cheap to buy now. It's like those that piece of hardware is three hundred fifty dollars compared yeah. to like a base light board, which is an easy fifty k. I mean, yeah. it is so um, easy to get access to these things. Which I, I want to be uh, conscious of your time, so it leads me into one of my last questions. Uh, sure. What um. Given these massive changes and the radical shifts in the business, I mean, you've seen a lot more of them than I have. Um, what advice would you give those who want to either direct or edit? And uh, how would you say that they should work towards this goal um, of working in short form? I mean, I would say just keep making things. That That's probably a big part of it. Just keep making short form and just keep working with the craft because that's the best way to really learn how to do it. Um, studying things that you really like, like if you like a commercial or a music video or whatever, spend an hour and deconstruct it and figure out why you like it. Like it's at the end of the day, there are thousands of choices made to make something even something that sucks, there's thousands of choices made. I mean, obviously, a lot of the choices are made incorrectly in order to get it to suck. But there's, <clears throat> like, really break it down and start figuring out why it is that you like it and what it is about it that you like. And then the other thing, in terms of just sort of practical career advice, would be, <clears throat> I think, find a place making things that you want to make that you like and just keep interacting with them and again keep making things because I can tell like when you get experience like if a kid even a kid who's just still in school sends me her reel I, I mean I can tell in 10 minutes whether or not or even less two minutes whether or not she kind of has it or doesn't have it and it could be making something that she didn't really have any money to make it, right? You know, she shot it on a little camera by herself. and, and But I can tell in uh, 25 seconds, oh, this kid's got something. She knows what's going on. She can figure this out. She knows how to tell stories in this space. So it's just keep making things. And, um, and I guess the last thing would be, you know, reaching out to people whose work you like. 
like if you really like a commercial, figure out who made it and email that person and be like, hey, I just wanted to say I really, really liked your this piece you made and I really like this choice you made because I'm telling you, again, we're not – none of the people in this industry are big celebrities. Like we're all very, very happy to talk to anybody who wants to talk to us. You know what I mean? Because we all did have – like there was 5, 10, 15, 20 people on my road who took the time to help me and took the time to show me things and – because of that, I feel, and I know everyone I know who's in my position feels, a certain debt to, to pay that same thing back to the next generation. So, you know, don't be shy about it. Like, if you really like a spot and you like the way it's cut, find it who cut it and email the guy or gal and say, I just want to say, great work. Like, and I'm an aspiring filmmaker and here's my reel. Because honestly, chances are they might even look at it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, absolutely. <laughs> Just get out there and do it, but just keep making, making, making. Like, make music videos for your friends, bands, make commercials for whatever, because that's, you know how it is. That's how you really learn. You really learn by just rolling up your sleeves and making stuff. Absolutely. I, I'm going to have to send you this uh, piece I just finished. I I tried to make it snow in Los Angeles. Oh, I'd love to see it. <laughs> it you know, it's funny. I was, I was talking to a friend of mine who now works at uh, Company 3 and Method, and she's like, you know, you could go back and map painting. I'm like... I know, but there's 30 <laughs> shots that I'd have to do and Instagram saying, no, you can't use uh, Dean Martin's let it snow and you can't use Brett Elridge's. I'm like, fine, I'll just post it to YouTube and swallow my pride of getting those, those Instagram likes. That's kind of funny. And yeah, that's, that's the thing too. It's, it's funny. Everyone pays attention to the weird thing is like, because of, I would also say to aspiring directors in particular, like all the big shops, they're all like all the big shops, not all, most of them are, are, are sort of cultivating because they realize where the industry is going and they realize how vital young affordable is, right? So, I mean, some of them are explicitly building shops just to do content type projects and all those people are looking like they're all looking on Vimeo and they're all looking in those places. So even if, if you're a kid and you're just making cool stuff and you're just putting it up on Vimeo like people are seeing it. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I think a great example. Like it's getting shared. Like it's getting shared by, you know, the people at MPC who are building a content team and it's being shared by the people at anonymous content who are looking for young talent. Like everybody's looking for really, really talented kids because at the end of the day, it's a big part of this industry is finding really talented kids and working with them to build their careers and making great stuff that has a lower price point than, you know, than a, than a David Fincher might need. So don't be discouraged because people are seeing it. Like if you make something cool, people will see it. Absolutely. And I think a great example of that is uh, final cut. And um, they have a portion of their uh, shop called significant others where yeah. they're really focused on the social game. And I mean, we talked about this, about the deliverables. I mean, on the post end, as an edit house, a big one that's dealing with some of the biggest ads in the world, they're dealing with those same issues that, that Team One is. And it's really remarkable oh, yeah. to talk with uh, different shops and different people in the business and hear that they're dealing with the same issues. Everybody is, and, and it yeah, it's again, it's, it's, it's important I, the, the weird thing about this industry, and I, I certainly get it when you're starting out, it's a hard business to get your foot 
into, but once you get your foot in it, you're definitely in it. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I, I remember feeling like when I was first starting out, like it was so hard and I was working like the night shift as an assistant editor and going to school. And it was just like, it's, it's hard to get your foot in the door. There's no doubt about that, but it's, it's a really rewarding place once you're in and once you're in, you're in. So it's sort of like, just keep going and keep making stuff. And at the end of the day too, it's sort of like, I don't know. I think I probably speak for a lot of people in this business when I say like if I didn't do this I don't know what I would do you know what I mean <laughs> I've constantly thought about that at times it's like what would I do I don't know maybe a lawyer so I don't know but I talked to my friends who are lawyers and it looks horrible so I, 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 I think at the end of the day we're very blessed to be able to do it um, so it's a great business and it's it's a lot of fun and you learn something every day I'm doing it 16 years and every day I'll, I'll make an edit or put a sound effect on or something and be like, ah, oh, shit, that worked. I didn't think that would work. And it does. So it's magic. It, it, so, it really is. I'm constantly surprised when I'm like just trying to do like in many ways, just being stupid for the sake of being stupid with an edit, just to mess around and try something. I mean, and all of a sudden it clicks. Exactly. It's weird, right? It's magic. Well, that's all we got for this episode of Runner Time. Big thanks to Brian Cook for coming on the show. I found it super insightful to learn not just about how Team One is dealing with some of the challenges that they're facing with, but how it's a reflection of the changing of the times throughout advertising and short-form content. We're seeing a very, very rapid change in techniques, technology, and just storytelling we're seeing a lot of change right now and it's interesting to hear how they are working through these problems you can find brian's book the art of short form content on amazon it is currently 37 dollars for the paperback version and 30 dollars for the kindle version fantastic read provides a ton of insight on how you can make a career in short form content also if you enjoy Render Time, please leave a comment and rate us on both iTunes and Stitcher. It would mean the world to me, and I'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions of what you like about the show and help us get more notoriety in those ecosystems so other people can find this and use it as a resource. That's all I got for this episode, and as always, create, share, and sustain the life you want. Get out there and make some awesome work, guys. Thanks.